good morning. Would you please stand if you're able and let us sing together and celebrate our risen Savior. Here we go. Christ the Lord is risen today. Alleluia. Sons of men and angels say, Alleluia. Raise your joys and triumph high. Alleluia. Sing ye heavens and earth reply. scripture I was reflecting on in preparation for Sunday was Matthew 13, 44, which reminds us this sweet illustration that Jesus gives. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And for each of us as believers, we should be able to resonate with this, that there was a time in our lives where we came into contact with the gospel where we came to face to face with Christ in our life and were confronted with the truths of our sinfulness and the truth of what Jesus died to save us from our sin. And God opened up our eyes to see that that is precious treasure that would fill our hearts with, uh, with joy to the point where we would go and sacrifice anything and everything in our life to lay hold of that treasure. The world sees that treasure all the time. They hear it proclaimed. But God has not opened their eyes, but he has opened our eyes to see the glorious, uh, precious uh, worth of that treasure. And so we're we're thankful that you're here with us this morning to celebrate the treasure that we have in Christ. 
Um, if you would take out your worship folder inside there, you'll find all sorts of information about things that are going on in the church. And inside there, you'll find a little check-in card. There it is. And if you could do uh, bless us and fill that out real quick, that would be a big blessing. You can also do it on the app that you can download on your phone for free. And that's just a big blessing that lets us know that you're here, helps us in shepherding, but also there's an opportunity for you to fill out any prayer requests or praises that you have, and for we would love to come alongside you and pray with you, for you, and thank the Lord with you. If you're uh, visiting with us, whether it's your first time or you've been here a couple times, um, we just are very. Th- we just want to extend a special welcome to you. Very glad that you are here. Um, if you haven't already, we have a welcome desk just outside these double doors where there are folks who would love to give you more information about the church if you'd like it, answer any questions you have, and give you a gift if you haven't received one yet, just to say thank you for being here and show how much we appreciate you. Well, I do want to take a moment to recognize that Friday, November 11th, was Veterans Day. And so if you have served in the military, um, whether, you know, Army, Navy, Marines, uh, Air Force, uh, Space Force, uh, that's a new one, right? Um, uh, Coast Guard, National Guard, would you please just take a stand for a moment so we can honor you and thank you for your service? We're so thankful for your sacrifice and service for this country and protecting the freedoms that we enjoy every day, especially the freedom to worship. And so, so thankful for you guys um, and gals, uh, whoever. I know we have some uh, ladies who serve in the military as well in our church. Um, we also have a resource of the month to recommend to you. So once a month, we uh, like to recommend a resource and provide it for you free of charge um, to continue uh, equipping you as we study a theme or ser- a sermon series together. So our theme this that we've been focusing on this year is building up the body. And Ephesians has been really reflecting that theme. And so this book really helps support that. It's called Design for Joy, How the Gospel Impacts Men and Women, Identity and Practice. Now, it was edited by Jonathan Parnell and Owen Strand, who are pretty well-known pastors and theologians. But each chapter of the book has a different contributor to it. And it really just answers the question, biblically, what does it mean to be a man or be a woman? What does that look like? How do I live that out? Recognizing that we're at continual war with our culture who is trying to rebel against God's created order, rebel against God's design. And the book here uh, just perfectly states that when we rebel against God's design, we're missing out on the joy that he has intended for us. So this book's helped us to have... um, uh, to find the, that answer for ourselves if we're wrestling with that, or just to give you language for helping articulate maybe something you already know and believe. So at the end of the service, uh, just outside these double doors, you'll see our resource center. It's a huge wall full of bookshelves, but there's a table um, full of these books. And at the end, just please pick one up. We'd love to, to give it to you guys to help you out. Now, before we continue singing, would you please bow your heads with me in a word of prayer? Lord, we're so thankful that... We have, you have ordained that we would come across the treasure of the gospel and that you would illuminate our hearts to see its worth and that you would help us give us new life so that we would be willing to sacrifice anything and everything to fully commit and follow Jesus as our savior and as our king. 
and what a joy it is to do so. And so, Father, I pray that our lives would be a fragrant offering to you continually, that our lives would be a living sacrifice, that we would daily seek to follow Jesus, to lay aside and den- uh, our own desires for the sake of Jesus' glory. And I pray this morning that as we sing together, as we pray together, as we sit under your word together, that you would continue to build up this church body, that you would continue to help us see um, God's design for our relationships with one another and how we can reflect your, the, uh, the image of God in us and reflect your glory in this world. We ask for your blessing of this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand with us and sing? Come. 
in power to reign. Heaven and earth will join to say, Oh, praise Him.
our steadfast light, and we shall ere His people be, all glory be to Christ, all glory be to Christ our King, all glory be to Christ, His rule and reign will ever sing, all glory be to Christ. Sing it out. be seated. All glory be to Christ, Newcastle. Let Him not just rule and reign in our singing, but also in our hearts today. He is our Lord. He is Lord of Lords. And uh, to Him be the glory. I'm going to release uh, Children's to Children's Church now, ages 3 through kindergarten. If you'll just exit back, you'll see folks heading that way, and they'll lead you to an age-appropriate, glorifying Christ uh, message and time together. Well, many of you have already seen the uh, video uh, of the Ukrainian resettlement, and if you haven't, Boy, check it out. It is absolutely amazing. It is worth your time to meet Tim and Masha and their family uh, as they uh, give a, a, a really a testimony of, of some really challenging, challenging times. And uh, so we're taking an exit offering to help relieve some of those challenges. And uh, that's it's all about that on that uh, video. But uh, and Pastor Kevin's going to talk about that more here a little bit later as well. But uh, get to know Tim and Masha. They were here first service and uh, just uh, just good stuff. Uh, Learner journey and. Uh, it was interesting to me that one thing that uh, Masha had said is that uh, they love coming here and uh, uh, seeing the, the smiling and the singing of you folks and, uh, and, and the joy which you, you do that. And uh, it's been a ministry just in that sense. But uh, you'll also in that video, um, you'll hear some prayer requests. And so that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to pray for them and then we'll pray for our service. So. Let's bow in prayer. Let's go to the Lord. Would you do that with me? Thank you. Lord, we, uh, we do pray for freedom and peace in Ukraine. We've seen and almost every day we hear of evil. Lord, we ask that you restore justice there, please, Lord. And Lord, as we pray for protection and strength of our Ukrainian brothers and sisters, uh, we also pray for the family and friends of Tim and Masha. Uh, they see faces and names in their own mind's eye that, uh, that are in trouble. And uh, so work there, Lord, in, in, in your protective uh, uh, um, abilities and, uh, and strengthen them. 
Lord, uh, there's Russians that are being persecuted as well. We pray for them, brothers and sisters in Christ. And uh, as we talked about the persecuted church last week, and uh, so work there. Lord, it's my prayer that you change the heart of Putin. Lord, uh, you change Nebuchadnezzar's heart. And we know you can do that. That'd be our joy. But work in Ukraine, Lord. And then, Lord, as Tim and Masha have asked us to pray for the details of their immigration here, do that, Lord. Lord, they might have some sense of security in the future. But, Lord, remind them and, and remind us that uh, you are our ultimate security in any circumstances, any situation. So, Lord, as we uh, have sung all glory be to you, rule and reign, Lord, uh, in our hearts, our minds, our soul, and our strength. Rule our families, our marriages, our work, our leisure. Lord, help us, for we know that all too often we're like the man in Luke 6 who say, Lord, Lord, and then we don't do what you tell us to do. It shouldn't be that way, Lord. Help us to be the man the people who build their house, their lives on the rock, on you. Lord, so often we get lured into chasing other lords, other gods, other idols, things of this world, the world that looks shiny, that occupy our thoughts way too much, even to the point where we sin to get them or we sin if we don't get them. But you are Lord. You're our Lord. And you're the Lord of lords and the King of kings. So rule and reign us, please, as our Lord. And then all glory be to you. And Lord, when we try to hijack some of that glory, particularly some of us glory junkies that like glory, remind us of the cross. Remind us that you bought us at a price, not by our works. You saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to your own mercy. To all brought to this salvation, all we brought to this salvation thing was our sin. Oh yes, that's why all glory belongs to you. So let that be anthem of our hearts today as we worship you and you alone. And Lord, as uh, Liberty Bible in Eureka has been our prayer focus this week, Pastor Tom asked for prayer. So they lost one of their members who was a missionary in Brazil, a close friend of Tom's for almost 40 years. So we pray for his wife, Nadine, his daughter, Alyssa, who are both still missionaries there. We pray for Pastor Tom and all the Liberty family. Comfort them in their grief, Lord. And remind them they grieve as ones with hope. With hope with you. Lord, we're doing some classroom expansion over at Liberty and pray for wisdom there. And then Pastor Tom asks that a, their Hungarian intern who's waiting on a visa, continues to raise support, plans to return to Hungary as a church planner, working those details as well. And, uh, and Lord, uh, I'm humbled to be the go-partner this week. And I thank you for the coaches' studies that have been going on this fall, they've been so rich. I thank you for two new, new, new huddles starting up in the area with three others beginning soon. Thanks for raising up huddle coaches, begin these ministries. 
Lord, and I ask for I ask that we pray for rest and family time for our coaches that are coming off fall seasons. And pray for wisdom as our winter coaches begin their ministry from the front row to student athletes all over the area. And then, Lord, lastly, I just ask that uh, our FCAers grow in their heart for the lost. They would invite the lost to huddles, their fellow classmates and teammates who need Jesus. And likewise, Lord, grow my heart for lost coaches who need Jesus. Lord, open doors to those lives, to those hearts. Lord, thanks for Pastor Tyson and the worship team behind me. They've led us so well in singing your rule and reign. All glory be you. I don't know how many times we've sung the words, Hallelujah. Praise be to you, God. So now lead Pastor Kevin as he brings your word about spirit-filled husbands here in a few minutes that we would better understand better how you want to rule and reign us, particularly as husbands. And we'll give all glory to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, this next song reminds us of a passage like Luke 9, verse 23, where Jesus tells all believers that if they want to follow him, they need to be ready to deny themselves pick up their cross daily and follow or obey, live a life of obedience. And so there is sacrifice required, but that doesn't negate the joy of that sacrifice. It doesn't negate the fact that there are comforts and blessings we experience in this life as we also longingly wait expectantly for the glory of the life of our next life in heaven. So would you please stand with us as we sing those truths together? Jesus, I my cross have taken, all to leave and follow Thee, destitute, despised, forsaken, Thou from hence my all shalt be, perish every fond ambition, all I've sought or
or sin and fear and care, joy to find in every station, something still to do or bear, think what spirit dwells within thee, think what Father's smiles are thine. Jesus died to win thee, child of heaven, canst thou Amen to that. The world may hate us, but we have our hope secure in Christ. And I loved how we sang that there, that the Spirit dwells in us, the Father smiles on us, and Jesus died for us. And so we can endure and sustain to the end with joy. Well, let's continue our worship now by opening your copy of God's Word to Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, today verses 25 to 33 teach us God's joyful wisdom for spirit-controlled husbands. If you would like a Bible, just raise your hand. We have Bibles. We'd love to give you a copy of God's Word today that you can use in the service or even take home as our gift to you today. Now, it's been a couple of weeks since we were in Ephesians So I'm going to take a little extended time this morning before we read the text to reset the table for us to make sure we clearly understand the context. Remember, we're in Ephesians chapter 5, which is the second half of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And remember, this letter is written by a persecuted Christian from a Roman prison cell to the believers in Ephesus. And chapter 5 talks about how to walk in love and in wisdom. If you remember, verse 18 
taught us that wise people are people who are filled with God's Spirit. In other words, wisdom will always seek to be saturated with God's Word and live controlled by the Holy Spirit. After Paul commanded Christians to to live under the daily control of God's Spirit in verse 18, he followed that up with five participles, which I know is English grammar, which means I-N-G words, okay? So five I-N-G words that are all the results of being spirit-controlled or spirit-filled. And verse 21 talked about how those who are spirit-filled will constantly be submitting themselves to one another in the fear of Christ. In other words, when you're walking in submission to God's spirit, that will transform all of your relationships with other people. Uh, The fear of the Lord or wisdom will cause us to accept the roles and the responsibilities that God appoints for us to have in all of our relationships with others. So in verses 22 to 33, he explains how a spirit-controlled person will actually uh, accept or line up underneath God's designed roles and responsibilities for marriage. Then in chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, he says a spirit-controlled person will accept God's appointed roles and responsibilities for children and parents. And then in verses 5 to 9 of chapter 6, he says employees and employers who are spirit-controlled will also accept their roles in the marketplace as well. As well. So I know I'm sa- taking some extra time this morning to kind of set the table, but I just don't want us to miss the importance of the surrounding context for the verses we're about to read together. God's children wisely imitate God's love whenever we submit to God's roles and responsibilities that he appoints for us in all of our relationships with other people. So two weeks ago, we saw God's joyful wisdom for marriage. The husband, according to God's design, is is appointed to be the head. The wife is appointed by God to be the helper. So that's that's our job titles, so to speak, in marriage, right? But we talked about two weeks ago how wisdom always puts more emphasis on the responsibility than the role. Because it's the responsibility that determines how successful I am actually am in that particular God-appointed role. So verses 22 to 24 explained the helper's responsibility to submit. And we spent significant time explaining what it means for a wife to voluntarily invest her entire life in seeking to help her husband become more pleasing to God. Submission is for the wife is all of herself living to help make her husband more pleasing to God. Now today, verses 25 to 33, explain the head's responsibility to love his wife like Christ loves the church. This is a marvelous paragraph, and it really helps call husbands 
to a level of joyful self-denial that's only possible for those who are under the control of God's Spirit. And then according to verse 32, which we're going to read, God joyfully gives these marital roles and responsibilities a gospel-centered purpose so that the earthly marriage between a husband and a wife is actually created by God to picture or reflect the love that Jesus has for sinners that he forgives and makes his bride in the church. But unfortunately, sin always ruins and perverts and destroys God's good design, doesn't it? And ever since sin entered into the world in Genesis chapter 3, husbands now sinfully focus more on controlling their wife than actually loving her. And wives now sinfully try to compete with their husbands instead of truly submitting with them. So sin so distorts our experience with marriage that honestly, it can be difficult at times to even open our ears and hear a passage preached like Ephesians chapter 5. And so I just want to say, like, as we approach this text, we all need humility. We all need God to give us faith and humility to truly hear and to embrace and celebrate God's joyful design. Ephesians 5, 25 to 33 reveals God's joyful wisdom for spirit-controlled husbands, which, by the way, is so different than how the world typically portrays husbands, either as uh, passive buffoons or controlling pigs. And that's how the world portrays husbands. But God's design is so joyful and so so good. So let's stand in honor of the reading of God's word together. I'm going to read what the Apostle Paul wrote from a prison cell, starting in verse 25 of Ephesians 5, reading from the ESV translation. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Please pray with me now. Father, as we come to this text, uh, you know how convicted I've been all week about this, uh, preparing to teach this, and Father, 
I just pray in advance that you'd give all of us, all of us, husbands, wives, singles, um, those who used to be married, Father, give us all humility, please. Some of us have been deeply hurt in our marriages. Some of us are bound into sinful thinking and sinful habits in our marriages. And I pray that you would be pleased, Father, to use this sermon to set captives free, to restore joy to marriages, to reorient us to your joyful design. Oh God, please, marriage is your foundational institution for society. So may Newcastle Bible Church family be a family that has growing and thriving marriages all by the power of your spirit. We ask for the sake of your witness in this world. Amen. Well, I want to start with an account from history, from ancient Greek history. Um, some of you might know the the world leader by the name of Cyrus. Cyrus was a very well-known leader of Persia, uh, really a worldwide leader back in the ancient days. And and Cyrus had a very powerful military. He had many generals. And on one occasion, the wife of one of Cyrus's generals was accused of treachery and condemned to die. At first, the husband, uh, the general, didn't, didn't even know this was happening, but as soon as he heard about it, he, he rushed into Cyrus's throne room. In the middle of the proceedings, he prostrated himself before Cyrus, crying out, Oh, my Lord Cyrus, take my life instead of hers. Let me die in her place. And King Cyrus was so touched and moved, he, he replied, A love like this must not be spoiled by death. And so Cyrus let the wife go free and returned her to her husband. And as the wife and husband were walking away from the throne room in ecstatic joy, the husband said to his wife, Did you notice how the king looked at us so kindly when he gave you your pardon? And the wife replied, I had no eyes for the king. I saw only the man who was willing to die in my place. And that powerful picture from history is exactly what Paul is writing for us in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 33 today. Spirit-controlled husbands sacrificially love their wives for the sake of joy. There's there's no approach to marriage that creates more joy for both husbands and wives than God's good design in Ephesians chapter 5. So if you're a single person here today who hopes to be married sometime, listen carefully. Maybe you're just a young child in school. Oh, listen carefully today so that you will not be fooled by the world's counterfeits. A spirit-controlled marriage is the most joyful marriage. If you're currently married today, I'm praying that this text will renew your thinking and re-motivate your desire to resubmit yourself to God's joyful design. Let joy motivate you to re-engage in supernatural submission to God's spirit yourself. And if you're no longer married, 
will still delight, delight in God's wisdom for husbands. Help us urge younger men to embrace and submit to God's good design. And we can all carefully consider how these scriptures help us better understand our heavenly husband, Jesus himself, who is the husband to all who believe in Christ forever. So to begin with, I want to start with a very, very important question, and that is, what is God's good design for spirit-controlled men? After all, our culture is very confused today about biblical masculinity. And if you start with the wrong understanding about God's plan for men, you will never be able to understand God's pattern for husbands. Remember, from the very beginning, God created people as male and female. Contrary to our world's confusion today, there's only two genders in the world two human genders in the world. Regardless of how a particular culture might define masculinity, every person on the planet today is either a male or a female, biologically. A man or a woman. You're a male if God created you with male reproductive parts. And you are a female if God created you with female reproductive parts. But here's the question. What does it mean biblically to act like a man? What is the biblical definition of masculinity? Does biblical masculinity look like John Wayne or Mr. T or The Rock? Or does biblical masculinity look like Homer Simpson or, or Dwight from The Office? Now, obviously, obviously... If you think about this, Jesus is himself the definition of biblical masculinity because he shows the world what it means to be male apart from any influence of sin. So only Jesus is the sinless man that we can look to as a role model. But if you had to explain from Scripture to anyone else what is God's design for biblical masculinity or biblical manhood, which Scripture would you go to? I'm going to recommend that we all open our Bibles now to Proverbs chapter 31. What? Proverbs 31 is the, was the chapter on biblical womanhood. That's, that's, that's why would we go there? But we often forget the first nine verses of Proverbs 31 is a mother's instruction to her, her son, King Lemuel, who's on how to be a godly man. Look, look, at, look with me at Proverbs 31, verses 3 to 5, where she writes to her son, Do not give your strength to women. Your ways to those who destroy kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of the afflicted. So notice this. God wants men to be disciplined first in their relationships. She talks here about be careful about your relationships with other women. Be disciplined in your relationships. And second, be disciplined in what you allow to influence you. Here she mentions alcohol. 
Be careful about the influence of alcohol for you, uh, my son. In other words, God calls every man to responsibly control himself. Self-control is a huge part of what it means to be a godly man. You say, well, Kevin, are you sure she's just not telling these things to Lemuel because he's the king? Maybe Proverbs 31 is really only speaking about how to be a biblical ruler. No, this is, it, it is that. It is how to be a biblical ruler, but it's more than that. It's how to be a biblical man. Because Titus chapter 2 puts this same emphasis on self-control for both older men and younger men in Titus 2 verses 2 and 6. A spirit-controlled man should be known for their self-control. But then keep reading in Proverbs 31, starting in verse 6. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those who are in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. So here, men are commanded to empathize with the distressed, and advocate on behalf of the poor. In other words, God designs men to compassionately care for others. And in this way, the opening verses of Proverbs 31 teach us that the essence of biblical manhood is controlling myself to care for others. I firmly believe this, church. If you were to ask God, what does it mean to be masculine? What does it mean to be a man? God would say, you would exercise self-control so that you're best able to care for others. This is, by the way, the opposite. This is the opposite of how Hollywood portrays men today and by how so many sports celebrities portray themselves on the sport fields today. But biblically speaking, God calls spirit-controlled men to act like Jesus, the only sinless man, by responsibly controlling themselves to care for the needs of others. Proverbs uh, 31 then transitions to describe all the characteristics of a godly wife. And, and which implies that these earlier verses are more broad, again, than just for rulers. And also, we see these same principles taught in the New Testament, not just in Titus chapter 2, but also in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 to 14, where Paul writes, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all you do be done in love. So notice... What does it mean to act like a man here? It means to be alert, to, stay, to stand firm in what you believe, to be strong and let everything you do be done out of love. In other words, God's design for men is for men to display their strength through faith and through love. This is the definition of the manly man, according to Scripture. Men who are living under the control of God's Spirit Men who are not known for their anger, they're not known for their competitiveness, they're not known for their muscles, they're not known for their corporate power. Godly men are known for their self-control, for their compassionate care for others, and for their strong faith and their strong love. This is the definition of a godly man. 
A biblical man controls himself to care for others out of love. That's so important, I'm going to say it again. A biblical man controls himself to care for others out of love. So now that you understand how God's design has been for men, He's specifically created all men to be self-controlled, caring lovers. So then what does a spirit-controlled love look like within the context of marriage from a husband? What does it actually mean for a married man or a husband to love his wife? After all, verse 25 in Ephesians 5 is very clear. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So the husband's primary responsibility in his marriage is to love his wife. Husbands, act like the man that God created you to be and be self-controlled so that you can care for your wife and love her sacrificially just like Jesus did with the church. So let's, let's be clear here that this kind of love is not, is not conditional or manipulative or sappy. This is agape love. This is, this is how Jesus loved the church. It's not conditional. It's not tit for tat. It's not something the wife might, must earn. Husbands, I don't, I don't want us to race past this point, husbands. Think about this. Jesus gave himself up. For the church. That means Jesus died for his bride before she ever loved him back, before she ever did anything pleasing to Jesus. Jesus died for her. See, we gotta, we gotta understand this difference between worldly love and Christ-like love. Worldly love is object-oriented and man-centered. Christ-like love is uh, need-oriented and God-centered. So worldly love, that worldly love is based on man's attractiveness, on a person's attractiveness or their personality or, or something that the loved one can provide back to the lover. Worldly love is always conditional. But Christ-like love is motivated by God's command and by the need of the beloved. And it's not justified in any way by that person's deserving or whether they deserve to be loved. So husbands, think about this in your own marriage. Have you allowed your disappointments in your marriage or your own unmet expectations or even your wife's sins to justify your withdrawal from her? Have you just stopped trying to meet her every need because of how your wife acts or how she's hurt you in the past. This is very convicting for me. But spirit-controlled husbands die to themselves in order to serve their wife and it's not conditioned at all based on who the wife is or how the wife acts. Spirit-controlled love is not giving to get. It's not manipulation. It's not like, well, I'll do the yard work as long as you take care of the kids. That's not spirit-controlled love. 
And Christ-like love is not sappy, meaning it's not touchy-feely, romantic, or fluffy. Certainly, there's room for romantic love in marriage. You can read the Song of Solomon, see all kinds of sappy love there. That's not bad kind of love, but that's not the kind of love that we're talking about in Ephesians chapter 5. Jesus lovingly died for sinners who were mistreating him, taking advantage of him, spitting in his face. Husbands, this isn't sappy love. This is supernatural love. Spirit-controlled love is sacrificially laying down my life for the sake of my wife's eternal joy. Just like Christ loved the church, voluntarily dying to myself for the sake of my wife's eternal joy. So husbands, ask yourself, what is my love actually costing me in my marriage? Cheap love is not Christ-like love. So if my love for my wife isn't costing me anything, then it's not Christ-like. Uh, what, what actions are, are there any actions or words that are thoughts that you're, that you're portraying towards your wife that, that are actually more based on your own joy than actually trying to pursue the joy of your bride? Are you voluntarily dying to self to meet your wife's needs? Or do we only go, husbands, far enough to just keep her off of our case until we can get our own desires met? See, spirit-controlled love is voluntarily dying to self to meet your wife's needs. Whereas there's, there's, there's a legitimate need, love acts. Doesn't waste, wait to be asks, it acts without consideration of whether she deserves it or not. It's just like how Jesus loved us when we were spiritually dead, right? When we still believed that sin was able to make us happy. Jesus died for us. He loved us by substituting himself into our place. He paid for, his, for our sins by dying on the cross. And you say, well, why would he die a death he didn't deserve? Well, verse 2 of this chapter answers that. Because he loved us. Friends, no husband can love this way unless you've been born again by God's Spirit and you're submitting yourself daily to the Lordship of Jesus and to the power of God's Spirit, which is at work with you. This is a result of being Spirit-filled. So husband, listen, please, if you are not living in daily submission to the Lordship of Christ, if you have not surrendered your life to the Spirit's control in your thinking and in your speaking and in your living every single day, then you will never, ever get beyond conditional, manipulative, sappy love in your marriage. Your marital love is spiritually constipated until you repent and submit to the Lordship of Jesus every single day and ask God's spirit to control and work through your life. Ephesians 5 is calling us to live in a manner worthy of our calling. We must believe that Jesus died and rose again to set us free from our slavery to selfishness. The first three chapters of Ephesians remind us that we are now able, husbands, we are now 
spiritually able by the resurrection power of the right hand power of Jesus himself, we are able to love sacrificially even when it's not deserved to lay down our lives for the spiritual joys of our wives. After all, verses 26 to 33 go on now to teach what motivates what motivates a husband's spirit-controlled love. What motivates a husband to love a wife, another sinner, like Christ has loved him? And, and this is glorious because as I pondered these verses this week, I, I became more and more convinced that a spirit-controlled love in marriage is always motivated by joy. By joy. Yes, I know the word joy is not actually in the text, but, but follow along with me and see if it makes sense to you like it made sense to me. Because after husbands are commanded to love their wives in verse 25, Paul gives two illustrations that are given to motivate us to love our wives like that. And both of these illustrations are set set off by the word as, A-S, as, in in the ESV. So the first illustration is found in verses 25 to 27, as Christ loved the church. The second is found in verses 28 to 30, as their own bodies. And I believe both of these illustrations aim to motivate the husband and wife with joy. So first, a Holy Spirit-filled husband is motivated to love his wife by the joy that is pictured in Christ's love for his church. Look again at verses 25 to 27. And you notice that Paul uses the word that three different times. You might underline every time he says that in verses 26 and 27 because it explains the three reasons or the purposes or the motivations of why Christ loved the church so much that he died for her. Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for her, it says. That's how he loved her. He gave himself. He died to self. So we know that the path of self-denial and sacrifice is the godly husband's path. But now notice the three goals of Christ's love. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water by the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. And I believe all three of these goals are the same. Basically, Christ sacrificially loved his bride, the church, so that he could make her holy. So he could make her holy. The word sanctify in verse 26 is the verb form of the word holy. It means to make holy. The end of verse 27 also says, so that she might be holy and without blemish. That just means without any imperfection, blameless, perfect. So Christ died to set the church apart from sin. Christ died so that that the church would, would be made holy. And then Jesus gave his spirit to keep the church holy through the cleansing ministry of his word in their daily lives. Also that someday in the future, at his second coming, he might present the church to who? To himself. In splendor. In perfect glory. 
without the presence of any sin at all. You see what these verses are describing? They're describing God's work in salvation. You see the work of justification, that he died for her to, to, to set her apart, to declare her righteous. You see the work of sanctification, that he gave the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit would use the word of God to make the people holy. Sanctify them through your word. Your word is truth, he says. And you see this doctrine of glorification where God is going to present to himself this beautiful, radiant, glorious, perfected bride as his object of love for all of eternity. The doctrines of justification, sanctification, glorification, they're all present in verses 25 to 27. So you look at this and you say, well, why is Paul using this illustration of our salvation to motivate the husband's love? After all, a husband cannot be a wife's savior. (laughs) A husband can't do any of that. A husband can't justify a wife. A husband can't sanctify a wife. A husband can't glorify a wife. Contrary to some misguided teaching in Christian circles today, the husband is never the wife's high priest. Jesus is the high priest of every believer, not the husband. The husband has no ability to sanctify his wife or make her holy in any way. So what is Paul's point? And I think... Paul is aiming at the end result of Christ's saving work. Joy, joy that he might present to himself a beautiful bride. What's that? That's joy. All so that Jesus gave himself up for the church so that he might save her. All so that in eternity future, he could have for himself a beautiful, holy, splendid, perfected bride. The joy of an eternally radiant bride is what motivated Jesus' loving sacrifice on our behalf. After all, isn't this what Hebrews 12 says? He endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. Because church, please listen, there is no greater joy than holiness. Some of us in this room have a wrong understanding of holiness. Some of us, when we think of being holy or we think about holiness, we think that sounds boring. We think of holiness as if it's something that's restrictive or something that's somber and formal and the opposite that the truth could not be farther from that perception holiness is the highest expression of joy in the presence of god is pleasures evermore and fullness of joy holiness is the highest expression of joy can you see the joy pictured in verse 27 jesus presenting to himself These are sinners who have now been made beautiful as my eternal object of my covenant-keeping love. Oh, husbands, listen, please. The costly sacrifices of love for your wife should be motivated by the same joy that motivated Christ to die for his bride. It's the joy of living and serving another's joy. It's the joy of living and serving another's holiness. It's the joy of a truly happy wife. And there's no happier or more beautiful wife than the glorified bride of Christ. 
In the same way, verse 28 says, a husband's love for his wife should be motivated by the joy that's realized through his oneness with the wife. Look at verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Now, let's come up for air for a little bit. In Matthew chapter 19, do you remember what Jesus told the religious rulers who were arguing for divorce? They were, they were, they were uh, arguing for no-cause divorce. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, verse 6? Jesus said this, When somebody gets married, they are no longer two, but they are one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So pay attention. Marital oneness is something that God creates. The text says what God joined together, right? So a sex act between a man and a woman is not what creates their oneness. Marital oneness is a mysterious union that God himself creates. God himself joins a husband and a wife together so that they are no longer two, but they are now one, one flesh. So then back in Ephesians 5, verse 28, Paul can say, he who loves his wife loves himself. Do you understand now? What Paul's saying is because God made them one when they got married. That's why Paul says in verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. So here's the argument that Paul's making. When a husband pursues his wife's joy, it's only going to multiply his own joy. After all, they're one flesh together. And so what gives her joy will also give him joy. And what gives him joy will also give her joy because God has made them one. Husbands, if we're neglecting our wives or we're trying to control our wives, we're trying to rule over her in some sinful way, or we're even worse, doing harm to her in any way, that will only sabotage your own joy, husband. Because she is one with you, and you are one with her, because God made it so when you got married. This is why Paul says that in verse 31, a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Translation, the joy of God's gospel-centered design for marriage is what should motivate a husband's supernatural love for his wife. Because when a husband leaves his father and mother, and he cleaves to his wife, God unites them both as one flesh. And God's ultimate purpose for their oneness in marriage is that they could be a picture, a visual picture in the world of Christ's oneness with his forgiven sinners that he calls the church. God's ultimate purpose for marital oneness is to show the gospel how Grace responds to sin in the context of covenant faithful love. 
God's ultimate purpose for marital oneness has always been to show the world a living picture of Christ's oneness with his redeemed. So husbands, for the joy that is set before you, lay down your own preferences. Husbands, for the joy that was set before you, lay down your own demands. Husbands, for the joy that is ahead of you, lay down your own selfishness. For the sake of your wife's eternal joy, this is your God-given responsibility as her head. Spirit-controlled husbands sacrificially love their wives for the sake of joy. Just like Christ's joy motivated him to die for the church, in the same way a husband's joy should motivate him to sacrificially live for his wife's joy, understanding that when he's serving his wife's joy, it's also in the end going to serve his own joy as well. So how are you going to respond? These, these messages in Ephesians, they get right into our kitchen. <laughs> they get right into our homes. So, brother or sister, how, how are you going to respond to God's design for spirit-controlled marriage? I want to urge all of us to embrace and celebrate God's wisdom for spirit-controlled husbands. So if you're single today, then I'm going to urge you, press more deeply into a joyful understanding of God's design for biblical masculinity. Ladies, I want to talk to you for a minute. Single ladies, please reject the poor role models of men who throw tantrums and men who taunt others. But instead, celebrate young men who are self-controlled for the purpose of caring for others out of love. Wives, verse 33 is very clear. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. That, that, that word respect is literally the word fear. In other words, we, we, it, it's following up from verse 21 up and above. Because we have such respect for the Lord and such fear of the Lord, it causes us to live in a way of submission and respect and honor with the husbands that God has given to you. Remember, wives, your role and responsibility that God has given to you in marriage. And may I gently remind you that nagging, nagging deflates your husband's joy. So ask God's Spirit to help you, wives, to joyfully live so as to help make my husband more pleasing to God. Woo your husbands towards God's joyful design with your prayerful walk more than your scornful talk. Husbands, remember husbands, you must submit first to God's spirit before you will ever find the joy in self-denial and self-sacrifice in your marriage. But please, may I urge us all Speaking to myself first, let's not miss out on this eternal joy. Let's not miss out on Christ-like joy, brothers. Remember, the joy of Christ-likeness is the joy of eternal beauty. It's the joy of sinlessness. So, brothers, let's voluntarily lay down our lives and pursue dying to self to meet our wife's legitimate needs. 
Sometimes us husbands are kind of simple. And, and we, we beat our chest and we said, yeah, Cyrus is general. I would do that. If some man with a gun came into my home, I would joyfully lay down my life for my wife. And if that, if that happens, I pray that we all would. But then we turn right around and we fail in the daily sacrifices of getting up in the middle of the night when the baby's crying or drying the dishes or picking up the house without being asked. Husbands, for the joy of our wife, for the joy of our gospel witness, yes, even for our own eternal joy, may we sacrificially give up our selfishness for the sake of joy. And husbands, if you're like me, and you've allowed bitterness or unmet expectations to justify your failure to love your wife, then join me in repentance. We have to repent. Let's confess our pride. Let's confess our selfishness. Let's ask God and our wives to forgive us. Let's humbly ask our wives to be praying for us. Let's go to our accountability partners and ask them to be praying for us that we might not miss out on God's joyful, beautiful design for joy. And may all of us here today celebrate God's wisdom for husbands as we cherish Christ himself as our perfect, eternal husband. After all, God's design for spirit-controlled husbands is modeled after Christ himself. And there's no greater joy for any of us than to be wedded forever in eternal bliss with our husband, Jesus. So let's pray. So Father, purify us and cleanse us. There's, there's a lot of repentance that, that needs to happen in my own life and in all of our lives at some level or another. So I pray, Father, that you would give us grace to not despair, not to lose heart. Give us grace to believe the gospel, to believe that your spirit is in us, your smile is upon us. Jesus died to set us free from selfishness so that we can truly live, so that we can truly love. So Father, cause the brothers, the husbands, the men in this congregation, starting with me, cause us to be self-controlled in our passions so that we would compassionately care for others out of love and that we would not live for ourselves, but that we would fulfill the design that you've given to us, this gospel-centered design in our marriages. May Newcastle Bible Church be filled with marriages that are growing, not perfect, but growing in Christ-like love. This is our prayer. Amen.
church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies take my will and make it thine it shall be the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Take my heart, it is thine own, it shall be thy What a great prayer to sing together. Lord, make my heart your royal throne. The throne where Jesus reigns, where selfishness is put to bed, where love thrives and grows because Jesus reigns. Oh, may we be a church that is excelling yet more in the love that comes from God's spirit. After all, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace. God is so good. Well, before we pray our benediction here, I just wanted to say a quick word about the exit offering today. Uh, today, we are taking an exit offering to help fund our Ukrainian resettlement ministry. So just a little bit of a history lesson here. Um, last year, after we had already approved our annual ministry budget, so we, every year we approve a budget for our ministry here, and it was already after that time, our elders decided that we should, um, as a church, participate in this opportunity to bring refugees out of the war-torn countries uh, across the world and bring them here to help them resettle and show them the love of Christ. We originally thought that was going to be an Afghan family, 
And then that fell through. And by God's grace, we were led to this family, Tim and Masha. And they're now their moms that are with them and their children uh, from Ukraine. And so as, they, as we got connected with Tim and Masha and this family, it's such a joy. We were loving on them. And we came up with a plan that would, we'd bring them to Morton, Illinois. We'd, buy a, we'd rent a home for them for the first year. And that as a church family, we are providing for their rent and their utilities for the first year of their time here while we are helping them learn the language, get their documents, get employment, get vehicles, all those things that you can imagine being uprooted from a war-torn countries and being transferred to central Illinois. It's, it's crazy, all of the things that they're experiencing. But because we made those decisions after our budget was already done, the elders questioned, well, how are we going to pay for all this? It's going to take about $17,000. This was going to cost us to pay for their rent and their utilities for the first year. And we said, well, we're just going to bring it to the church family as an exit offering and give the church. We know our church family is so generous and we know that our people will give if they know there's an opportunity to do so. So that's what today's exit offering is for. It will go, we're trying to raise $17,000 basically to help offset the church's cost that has allowed us to get to know this family and love on them. And we're just so blessed that they're participating in our church family and we're getting to know them. They're actually becoming our friends. And they're, we are just loving Tim and Masha now, both of their moms, their children, and just to, to love on them and show them the love of Christ uh, in this way. So that's what today's exit offering is for. I pray that you'd be very generous. You can give in the boxes that are at the exits in this room, or you can give online anytime. You can go later this week and give a designated offering through our website or our app at any time for this purpose. So we pray that you'd consider that for God's glory. Let's pray our benediction now from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 to 21. Would you pray it with me, please? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And all those who believe that God's power is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think in our marriage, would say, Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.